Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and, we, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technolwood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the Best Equality in Social Sports Podcast. That's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Tenorwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us on the TWS Sports Podcast as a former footballer. He played the teams such as Southampton, Bolton and England. He scored A8 Premier League goals in his long and successful career. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin Davis. How are we doing? Good, thanks. Good morning. We like to start our podcasts with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? <clears throat> Ooh. Good question. Who is it? Um, Peter Kay. Okay. He's touring at the moment, so he's um, back on tour. Good to go and see him. He, obviously, um, living in Bolton for that period of time, there's the likes of him and Paddy McGuinness and Vernon Kay and people like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, we've chatted to Paddy McGuinness mainly about like his sporting career and uh, the show he's been on and also autism as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's got his twins, isn't he? If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? If I could train, trade lives with ev- with Ooh. with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Ooh, what a good question. Um, maybe Prince Charles. Eh, let's go big. <laughs> yeah. I want to go big. Let's go to be the king for a day. Would be nice, wouldn't it? Just to to sample that lifestyle and um, see what his sort of daily life and routine is like. I think that would be. A very I doubt it's all day. roses. No, no. <laughs> Well, you think you got, I think we all have a, we all kind of think we know, you know, they've got servants and they get people to dress them and do the hair. And we don't really know, do we? So I think just to have a day in the life. Well, is dressful, yeah, be, my yeah. bet. Not only that, but you have to be like really productive. So, yeah. well, yeah. I think he gets. What, to, you're not very productive, of... Tom? No, yeah, I'm just he's... saying you've got to order around and sign a lot of papers. That'd be overwhelming from time. That'd give you a serious kick. Traveling as well. They do lots of travelling, don't they? So they get to run charities and you know go to the Commonwealth countries, travel the world. I think it would just be um, an right. interesting, an interesting role. Okay, if you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? Um, superpower, um, I think flying. I think it'd be nice to fly just get up there and fly around, have a look around. You know, almost like a drone these days, isn't it? So I think. To be able to just get up and fly would be nice. Um, save it my legs be, as well. Be useful for uh, well avoiding conversations you really don't want to be in. <laughs> You've been doing your research on me, have you? <laughs> um, 
Last question, you can stop one crime forever, but the way you stop it from ever happening again is by committing that crime yourself. After you've committed it, that crime will never happen again anywhere in the world. What crime are you choosing and why? Ooh. What crime would I choose? I'd probably rob a bank, I think. <laughs> Robbery. Yeah, I like I watched Heist recently. I think that was kind of uh I watched that with my kids quite a bit and I think just planning a robbery and getting the gold at the end of it escaping uh, without being caught would be quite a thrill wouldn't it but yeah not something plus... i would condone obviously mm -hmm. <laughs> plus in the end and by committing the crime apparently you stop it forever exactly yes yeah, so no more no more bank robberies yeah there we go so i'm surprised no guest has said hacking yet because like you can get a lot of benefits from hacking surprisingly mm -hmm. so. <laughs> sounds like you know a lot about that tom maybe <laughs> that maybe they're too scared to get karma'd and get hacked themselves yeah. probably thank you for answering those questions let's chat about your career so we want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood what are your memories of growing up and did you always want to be a footballer yeah i think from i grew up in sheffield um i'm one of six um so i was the fifth child and a younger brother um so <laughs> typical family you know we lived on a council estate which was like maisonette flat so a big a big estate in sheffield it's about half mile up the road from Bramall Lane, actually. So Sheffield United was my my sort of football team growing up. I went to go and watch the games with my my brother. Um, so yeah, it was schools over the road, um, lots of friends. You know, we played out in the you know in the parks. You know, went to play football every day. So football was kind of a big influence in my life from an early age with my father. He was um, a good amateur player, but unfortunately, my dad got meningitis when he was a baby, um, and he was deaf from a young age. So he managed to play for the Great Britain deaf and dumb team, went to some of the Olympics and played in, in some big tournaments. So he was a good footballer. And then my older brother was a, a keen footballer as well. So it was a lot of time playing football in the back streets. Um, yeah, playing at night. You know, I remember the lights used to go off and we used to carry on playing. Um, so a lot of football watch was played. Yeah, watch the windows. Yeah, we, you know, we were just young kids on an estate playing and it was a very you know, happy childhood, um, just enjoyed every minute of it. We didn't have, you know, lots of money. Um, Dad worked as a, a labourer for the council. My mum had a few part-time jobs, but we never went without. Um, so I, I loved my childhood. It was great. Um, I managed to take my kids back there a few years ago to look where I grew up and things and um, to show them where I grew up. So, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Um, you made your professional debut for Chesterfield ages 16 against West Ham. What are your memories of that and of your time at Chesterfield? Yeah, it was good because, you know, from sort of going into secondary school at around the age of 11, I was selected to play for Sheffield, which was my first sort of big thing, you know, to get into the Sheff Sheffield's a huge city. Um, so to be selected for them was great, which took me from about 11 till 15, 16. And then during that time, I was picked up by Sheffield United and was training with their academy. So. I was signed with them for two or three years and things were going well with them. And then I got released, which was a bit of a shock, really. It's sort of the first um, hard thing to take in football, I think, to be told you, you're you not good enough was hard. Uh, but fortunately, I had my brother there. He said, look, go away, work extra hard. And Chesterfield then came in, who were in League Two. He said, come and have a trial. And I played really well. And they offered me a contract pretty much the next day. Um, so I went there as a 16-year-old out of school. Back then, it was a YTS scheme. Uh, which is similar to an apprenticeship, I guess, now. Um, so it was going in, doing the jobs, cleaning the corridors, you know, making the cups of tea for the manager, 
cleaning the toilets, cleaning the stands after football. So you got to learn, you know, you had to do all these jobs as well as trying to become a professional footballer as well, which I, I thought was a great ground. And Sean Dyche was the captain of the team at the time. He was done well at Burnley as manager. Um, so we had some good sort of role models around me as well. So I had four years there. Uh, made my debut within, I think it was three or four weeks at the start of the season. There was a few injuries and the manager gave me the opportunity. I remember sweeping the corridor and someone said, go down there, you're in the, t- you're in the squad. And I was on the bench for that game. So that was that was great. I loved it. I loved my four years there. Um, I was up there recently for the manager at the time. He sadly passed away. So I was up there for his funeral two weeks ago, um, uh, which was sad. But he was like a, a big yeah. sort of father figure, a big important sort of person in my career. I was always good ring. And I think, you know, as young people, you probably should surround yourself with those types of people you can call on to help when you need them. And he was certainly a, a great role model for me. So I had four years at Chesterfield. We obviously we got promotion at the old Wembley, which was amazing. And then we had a, a cup semi-final in my final year there, which sort of catapulted myself and a few of the players onto better things. So I loved my time there. It was great. Um, in 1997, when Chesterfield were in Division 2, you reached uh, the semi-final of the FA Cup. That was an amazing achievement for Chesterfield at the time. It was, it was, it was crazy. One, you know, we went through the early rounds. I think we played teams like Scarborough, um, got a win. I think we beat Bristol City. I think it was at the time, and suddenly we found ourselves in the, the latter stages, which was, you know, it was just a, an amazing journey for us. We beat Not- Nottingham Forest, I think, in the fifth round, which they were in the Premier League at the time, and the Stuart Pearce. Uh, and then the quarterfinals, unfortunately, I was suspended. I got sent off the week before for a bit of a scrap. Um, and we beat Wrexham in the quarterfinals. I think it was 1-0. The player who's, who played instead of me scored the winning goal. And then, obviously, it set the semi-final at Old Trafford, which was just um, pretty much for every player, everyone involved in the town. It was just something that you'd never been involved with before. So it was an amazing sort of period for the club and to be involved in all that kind of build-up and going into the town and seeing everyone wishing as well. Um, and the actual occasion itself, it was a brilliant game. I don't know if you've seen the game, but we were 2-0 up. We had a man sent off. They came back into the game, you know, went ahead. We pulled it back and it was just a, you know, it's one of the all-time classics. We were, we felt a bit unfortunate. There's one decision we could have potentially got if it was today's technology, we'd have probably, I think we'd have got through to the final. But listen, it was, um, I love that, that, that period, that FA Cup run was pretty special, yeah. You then moved to Southampton in the Premier League. How did you reflect, reflect reflect on your first spell there? Spell. Yeah, reflect. Yeah, um, it was again. It was. I got a phone call uh, from the PFA. Said uh, Southampton are interested in signing you. We, let's go down and have a chat. And I went down there. Graham Soonis was the manager at the time. Remember, just being a bit nervous about going down. Obviously, to the Premier League. From I think we were in the League One at the time. Um, and we got the contract sort of agreed. They agreed the fee with Chesterfield and it was done that day. So he said, do you want to stay down? And I trained for a week and then the season finished. Um, and then I remember just getting ready throughout the summer, you know, getting fit, making sure I go there in a in, in a good you know, frame of mind, fit, sharp. Um, and went down for pre-season and just, um, you know, we were playing like Matt Letizier. He was a big player there. Um, and I just, I was excited by it really. We had a really hard pre-season. Um, I managed to get into the team fairly early on and that, you know, I just had an amazing first half of the season in the Premier League and I remember just looking around at, you know, playing at Chelsea and Liverpool and I was scoring winning goals against Manchester United and, you know, I'd gone from playing in front of three or four or five thousand fans to playing in front of sort of 40, 50,000 within 
six months. So it, it was an exciting time. Um, you know, everything that came with the Premier League at the time, it was still fairly new. Um, but it was, I just loved it. You play, I think I was 20 at the time and playing with a lot of, you know, freedom, no fear. Um, and just enjoyed every moment. I picked up an injury in January, which kept me out for a while. Um, came back and then picked up another injury. So the second half of the season wasn't so great. And I always felt if I'd not got that injury, there was a World Cup at the end of that year. Potentially, if I'd have carried on playing well, I could have maybe got in that World Cup squad, which was, um, you know, a bit disappointing at the time. But that's football. And then, obviously, Blackburn came in that summer and I went to Blackburn um, and left Southampton then. So... It was a kind of crazy first year, I guess, yeah, in the Premier League, yeah. Um, we are good friends on the podcast with former Southampton manager Dave Jones. We texted him yesterday and asked him about you. Dave said, Kevin was a player who gave his all. He is a very honest person and a delight to work with. I sold him to Blackburn, which he didn't enjoy his time there and it probably was not the right move for him. But he did come back to Southampton and did very well for me and was a fan's favourite. I never had a problem with him and as I said, he always gives his best. He was a very loyal to his family. Can you give him my regards? That's nice. Nice words, isn't it? And he was um, a manager that I enjoyed playing with. Um, He had to leave the club for a few personal reasons and obviously things changed. New managers come in. Um, It was Glenn Hoddle who who came in um, and it was different but working on the day it was great we you know we had a, a nice way about him we had a great team spirit and I think that first season we did very well um, and the money I think I signed for Southampton for like 750,000 and then a year later they sold me for seven and a half million so I think as a business deal Southampton had to take the offer um, didn't work out at Blackburn for whatever reason didn't particularly enjoy my year and a bit there and obviously the opportunity came back to go back to Southampton which I sort of straight away yeah I'd be interested I went and they swapped um, the player the other way and again the deal was done very quickly and I was glad to be back at Southampton um, so it didn't work out at Blackburn I didn't enjoy it there but that's football I think that's probably the only year out of my 22 years of playing where it was it was tough um, I think going for a big price tag and the change room I wasn't used to the things that were going on in there um, and, we, and we ended up getting relegated that year which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time yeah. but yeah that's football. You have to live with those things and try and learn from them and move on. We read in an interview you did a few years ago that you said the dressing room at Blackburn was bad and very clicky. What do you think that was the case and how important is it to have a positive dressing room? Yeah, I think I just touched on it there, didn't I? I think, you know, it, there were some senior players in there. I've said a few times... I think tried to run the club a little bit. Roy Hodgson was the manager at the time. They'd won the Premier League, I think, two or three years before. So they had a very, you know, wealthy owner in Jack Walker, who was, who was great with me, I must say. Um, Roy Hodgson lost his job. Um, and then, again, new manager comes in. Different things go on. Um, wasn't playing as much as I had. I'd had a few illnesses. I had to my tonsils out. Um, and I wasn't particularly happy. I was travelling back to Sheffield to Rather than staying in Blackburn, I was doing a lot of travelling because I wasn't enjoying it so much. So, for whatever reason, I just, I think, you know, looking back at my career, the places where I was happy, going into work every day, happy in the in the changing room with the players. If you're happy with your life in the change room, you're happy with your family life, it allows you to really play your best football on the pitch. So, obviously, that season, we went for a lot of money. I only scored two goals. So, 
I think the Blackburn fans will see it as a big disappointment. Um, you know, call it a flop, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, but I think I proved in the following years back at Southampton and then Bolton Wanderers that I was capable of playing at that year. It just didn't work out. Um, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. You know, sometimes you just find a club where you're not happy at and you have to move. Uh, I made the decision to move fairly quickly. So, And clicky? Was something broken? <laughs> Making it click, well, click, 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 click. Well, click, click yeah, click. we saw clicks is like, you know, there's three or four players over there. There's four or five players over there. There was a few players here. And there was like little groups. Ah, and, I see. Every no one was so it was, it was really, uh, yeah. And it, you, you need everyone to be together, you know. Avoiding certain players. That's what it felt like to me. Listen, I was young. I was only twenty-one, so it may have been different. But I just didn't feel the dressing room was together. I felt like there was a divide in a few areas. Which, yeah. when you're trying to play together and succeed, it, it doesn't work. And obviously, we you we got relegated that season. That. So, yeah. if a team isn't together, then something's going on. Yeah, and it's down to the, I think, the manager, the staff, you know, the culture of the whole place. You know, you've got to create something like, you know, later on in my career, Sam Ardice was a master at it. You know, creating somewhere where everyone wants to come in and you enjoy the hard work, you enjoy the wins, you know, you deal with the lows and just create a really positive environment. And that wasn't one for me. Um, after one season at Blackburn, you returned to Southampton. Is that something you always wanted to do? And what was it like going back? It's not like I said. We we had the season. We'd been relegated. It wasn't a very particularly positive place to go. Went back for pre-season. I'd signed a seven-year contract at Blackburn, so I was going into my second year. And obviously, the manager could see I wasn't particularly happy. I think we were away somewhere, and Southampton were there as well. And I think they got talking, and the deal just came about. Um, and it was put to me to say, "Would you like to go back to Southampton to to potentially discuss?" Um, a new deal and I went I drove down the same day because I was that unhappy there I went back down there they did a deal with the other player and I think the deal was signed probably the next day and you know I'd only been away sort of just over a year so it was nice to go back and be part of you know a new dressing room one or two new faces in there but not, not, nothing changed too much at Southampton at the time so it was good um, We are also good friends with Matt Letizia on the podcast and we Texted him yesterday and asked him about you. Matt said that you were strong, shy and determined. Kevin, uh, Kev scored a goal at Everton, which was one of the best goals I ever saw a teammate score. We won 2-0 and it is still the Saints' last win at Everton. I scored the other goal with a header. Yeah, I remember that one well. It was live on Sky at the time as well, that game. and Just one of those goals where I picked the... It was like a Messi-like goal. It's not something you associate with with my playing style, really. But it was a little dribble past a few players and then scored at the end of it. So that was, I think, he got goal of the month for that one, which was which was nice. And obviously, Matt was they call him the god down there for a reason because he was just such a an amazing football player, so natural, um, just mesmerised you at times the, the things that he could do with football. But a great guy. I live down in Bournemouth now, so he's only down the road in Southampton. So we play a bit of golf together every now and then. But he's a he's a great great guy. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't strike me as very shy. Yeah, I do talk a lot, but don't I? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean as an insult. Please don't think of it as an insult. <laughs> no, I think I think you know football is has been my life, so I think you, you're comfortable in that kind of environment. So talking about football, you know, I'm, I've got games coming up. I've got some media stuff that I do. That's my comfortable place. If you put me in front of a thousand people in an arena having to do a speech you see a very different person because 
you know, public speaking and things like that is I find difficult still. So there's certain nerve-wracking for anybody. Yeah, that's for anybody, yeah. And you know, stepping out of your comfort zone is the hardest thing you can do. I went back to school when I, at the age of 38, 39, did a master's degree, you know, with 30, 40 people and having to do presentations in front of people. I was like losing sleep. Oh, you know? And, no, and no. there's people on the course saying you played in front of seventy thousand, you know, you played for England, you but just you know, that's an uncomfortable place to be for for me. Um, but I think, you know, I think football is a place, you know, I'm, I'm happiest with, I can talk about, I've got an opinion on. So um, that's just that's just the way we're built, isn't it, I think. Um, would we be right in saying that your, your career was up and down around this time? You did not nail down a starting spot in the team and you then went to Millwall on loan. Was this a difficult time for you and how do you look back on that period? Yeah, I think the return to Southampton, I think it started off okay. Um, you know, again, another change in manager came in, Gordon Strachan came in and, you know, I wasn't getting as much game time as I would have liked at the time. Um, we had a, a striker in James Beattie who was doing really well, uh, scoring lots of goals and there was Marion Pars, there was other players there. So the competition was high. Um, and I'd, at the time, around 24, 25, it was a difficult period. Um, I was into the last year of my contract. I wasn't playing much. I was training with the reserves a little bit. So it was kind of an unusual situation for me. Um, I've been sort of being transferred for seven and a half million pounds, you know, two or three years before. And then in the reserve team at Southampton, it was it was kind of hard to take. Um, I'd had a few problems at home. Both my parents were terminally with cancer at the time. So that was hard being, you know, living in Southampton and then being in Sheffield. Um, so that was tough uh, to, to take at the time as well. Um, and then it came to around Christmas time, I realised my future wasn't going to be at Southampton under that manager. So we took the decision to go on loan. I had a few clubs in the championship interested, Sheffield United, uh, which is my club, which you know I should, probably should have gone to, but I went to Millwall. Um, they were doing better in the league, just just to get some game time, just to get your name out there again, just to get people looking at you. Um, I had a, about six weeks there, and then I returned to to Southampton. Um, again, got in a few teams here and there. It was the year they got to the cup final as well, the FA Cup final, um, which I was working hard to be part of, but didn't get in the squad, which was disappointing as well. And then obviously left the club that year, um, so I was kind of gone from. You know, being a big transfer at the age of 20, 21, to being released at 25, not having a club, not knowing where your future was. So, yeah, it was difficult. Parents were both obviously dying, which was hard to take um, as well. So it was tough. It was tough around that period, yeah. Um, mm. Unfortunately, got the call and Big Sam offered to take me on trial. And obviously the rest is history yeah. with Bolton. So, yeah, Big Sam Allardyce, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was. And he had a... A bit of a knack of sort of taking players that have lost their way a little bit for whatever reason, giving them an opportunity and managing them, getting the best out of them, which was his man management skills. I think over the period of my career, we were probably the best in terms of making you feel great, making you feel wanted, being part of a team and creating that culture and environment. He was a master at it, really. Yeah. Um, I so liked him on the podcast. Yeah, he's great. He's yeah. great. He's great. For someone here tried to make have us ask a rather touchy question. <laughs> who I'm not going to name. Um, was was there a skill that you wish you had worked on during your football career? As in a, a football type skill, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I'm not too sure. I think, you know, my game had to change over the years. When I was younger, I was more of a wide winger, a bit quicker, a bit more skillful. And I think you have to adapt with injuries and um, the way we played with Bolton, for instance, I was more of a target man. So, you know, we went quite direct into me at the time. I wasn't the tallest footballer. I was only six foot one, but it was quite good in the air. My timing was always quite good. Um, so that worked really well for us at the time. I think you just have to adapt as a a person, as a player, whatever industry you guys are deciding to go down or people listening, you know, if it's not quite working, then you're, you're always learning. Like I said, I went back to university at the age of 38 to do a degree. I did my coaching badges. I think I'm doing a, I'm working as an agent now. So I'm learning all these other aspects and I'm 45. So I think you continue to develop, continue to learn. I think boys mature a bit later than girls in life. Um, Having children at the age of 25, 26 certainly changed my outlook on things. I think as a footballer, you have to be quite selfish. You have to look after yourself, even though you're in a team sport. And I think having children, it just focuses you on, you know, doing things for your family as well as yourself. So that was a, although it was a difficult period around 25, 26, I met my wife I'm with now. Um, we had kids and it was kind of went from a negative to a positive within a year, really. You had a great first season at Bolton. How did it feel to settle quickly into the club? It was great. Like I said, I went there on trial, so I wasn't offered a contract. It was go away on pre-season. I remember turning up the first day and I just remember there being all these different nationalities. You know, there was people from Spain, there was people from Japan, there was people from Senegal. And then there was a, a core of British players in there, Kevin Nolan, Nicky Hunt. And it just felt like a really happy place. Everyone got on really well. Um, I went away for pre-season. Um, I was out of shape because I hadn't been playing as much. Just worked really hard over six weeks. And then Sam, literally a week or two before the season was starting, said, look, we've been so impressed by you. We're going to offer you a year's contract. The money wasn't amazing at the time, but he said, you do well, we'll look after you. And I think I went from being released to, we, we had Manchester United first away on the first game of the season. And he said to me at the end of that week leading up to the game, are you ready? You're going to be starting tomorrow. I was like a bit shocked, really. Um, so, yeah, the first season was great. I played every game that season, didn't miss a minute. Uh, we got to a cup final. I got ended up getting player of the year. You know, I loved the club. The fans were amazing. The squad was amazing. Loved working under Sam. Um, so I, I felt like I was back, you know, after a, a difficult period. It's Southampton and Blackburn. I felt like I was back. Um, and it, it was... Um, you know, obviously went on to play for 10 years for them. So, yeah, I loved it. Um, in 2006, Bolton finished sixth and reached Europe for the first time in their history. How important was that for the club to reach Europe? Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, Sam was very ambitious. We had, you know, he managed to get some great players in there. Yori Jorkinev, World Cup winner. Ivan Campo, you know, Champions League winner. JJ Kocher. Uh, Stelios Yanakopoulos won the Euros with Greece. Uh, El Adjidjouf was a great player. Fernando Hierro came in. Uh, Spanish legend. It, it, the list went on and on. So we had some amazing players and it was Bolton Wanderers. You know, it was unfashionable. Um, and he had a core of British players in there what brought the, you know, the, the grit and steel. We had the flair. We had a great, great team of players. Um, Sam was very ambitious. We set targets at the start of the season, but no one expected is to get into Europe I don't think over that period of time so I always think football's kind of you create memories um, for the fans 
you know, the Chesterfield run, for instance, getting to the FA Cup semi-final will never be forgotten. And Bolton, the same, getting to Europe for the first time. What an achievement for the club. We were, we were trying to get to the Champions League. We just missed out by three or four points, I think, that year, which was a bit of disappointment. But to get into Europe was just, um, it's incredible, really, for, you know, we had some good players in there, won the Champions Leagues and played in Europe, but for a lot of the players there, we'd never sampled European football. So it was a new experience for us. Uh, particularly when the draw was made the following season, we were playing the likes of Bayern Munich and uh, these kind of teams. It was just like mind blowing, really. Loved it. Um, the following season, you played in Europe and reached the knockout stage. You scored some important goals along the way, such as your goal against Bayern Munich in Germany. You then went on to be Atletico Madrid in the knockout stages. That must have been an amazing time for you. Yeah, it was. It was just so exciting. I think, you know, obviously playing in the Premier League was was an amazing, you know, thing in itself. But to have these different experiences, to travel abroad, uh, I think we're in Bulgaria, um, I think we're going to Marseille and playing against these big teams, Atletico Madrid, you know, I think um, Aguero was playing for them at the time, the, you know, the Man City legend. He got sent off in the first game at Bolton. Then we went there and got a draw. And, you know, it was, in, it was quite a, you know, threatening environment to go there. Uh, my family's all travelled over to watch the game, but, it, you know, it was intense, the atmosphere. It was just something you don't experience in playing in England. So I loved every moment of playing in Europe. Unfortunately, I think we lost to Marseille that year in the last 32, I think it was, or the last 16, um, which was disappointing. But yeah, loved the experience. We managed to recreate that a couple of years later, I think. Um, so yeah, playing in Europe was, was great. I loved every minute of that, really. I know you get asked this question a lot, but you are second in the list of players to commit the most fouls and third in the list of players with the most yellow cards in Premier League history. What did, why did you commit so many fouls? Oh, we're not asking a touchy question, are we? <laughs> no, it's an, it's an interesting one, that one. Um, I don't know where that comes from, really. I was always... Obviously, growing up on the council estate, I used to play against my older brother's you know, he was 10 years older, so I, at the age of eight, I was playing against older boys, so I was had to be quite tough and physical, you know, playing in that. I think I got it from the growing up, in, you know, in the area I grew up in. So I think a lot of it came from that. We had to be tough. You had to look after yourselves on the estate, that kind of thing. Um, I think at 16, 17, 18, I was always quite, I was almost, you know, almost a man already, where look at a lot of players now, they don't really develop 18, 19, 20, physically. I was probably a bit younger than that. Um, I think it's just down to a competitive nature. I think, you know, your game develops. Again, I said I was more of a winger and more tricky and then it bolted and became a bit more physical. Um, so it just evolved, really. And I think I always enjoyed the battle. I was, if the opponent's six foot four or five, I enjoy that. Um, can I beat him in the air? Can I win the battle on the day, get the upper hand? That's just what's something that's inside you, I think. Every game you go to, you want to you want to win, but you want to do well for yourself and win the battle, win the individual battle. So the foul scene came about, yeah. Um, it's give and take, isn't it? I was kicked around a lot. So the stats generally, most seasons, I would create the most fouls, but I was also the most foul player, which, you know, people don't generally talk about that side of it. So, you know, there's times where I've got broken ribs, broken eye socket, you know, broken toes. Eye socket? Yeah, I got elbowed and the guy got I got elbowed at Charlton and he fractured my cheek up here. That season in the Premier League, 
Bolton were involved in a relegation scrap. Is this the season that you didn't beat Sporting uh, in the last 16 of Europe? Yeah, the problem with that, obviously, Gary Megson, Sam had left by then. Um, Sammy Lee had taken over, not done so well. He'd left. Gary Megson came in. Um, and I think the club had spent a lot of money on the squad, on the players. And I think the owner at the time, Eddie Davis, was starting to pull back on the money. So the, the club was kind of not investing as much into the squad. We were making cutbacks in sort of areas of, you know, other areas of the pitch. So obviously we, we'd fallen away a little bit um, with the quality of players. Um, and we started to go, rather than challenge at the top, we were sliding a little bit. So it was about staying in the league. So unfortunately, the, 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 the European Cup run, we had Sporting Lisbon away in the last 16. And Gary Megson at the time decided, because it was quite demanding playing on a Thursday night in Europe and then having to fly back, travel back, and play a Premier League game on the Sunday. That was the problem with, you know, playing in Europe. And I think the chairman at the time was worried that playing in Europe, it's almost like they didn't want to get to Europe as a club because of the, the risk of getting relegated because of that. So that was always, I think that was one of the reasons I think Sam Allardyce left in the end because of the, you know, lack of ambition of the club or the worry of, he of being relegated. Yeah, did say that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. He, he know better than me. But I think at the time, Gary Megson took the decision to leave a group of players back so myself, the goalkeeper, Kevin Nolan, there's five or six of us that didn't even travel to the game. So I think the fans never really forgave him for that because we had a good opportunity to get into the last eight of you know, the UEFA Cup, which we could have done. I think if we'd have all travelled there, we'd have had a chance. So unfortunately, we'd lost the game. I remember we played Wigan on the weekend and he tried to rest the core group of players and we ended up losing that game as well. So it kind of backfired on on the manager and I think the fans really never forgave him for that uh, we ended up, yeah we ended up staying up which I think was the main thing in the end so he achieved what he came in to do but I think from that point it was it became a bit of a struggle to try and stay in the league really and ultimately you'll probably come on to that in a moment we got relegated I think it was 2012 wasn't it around that time so yeah yeah things changed at the club we would like to play a quick game with you called Kevin Davis Premier League Career Quiz are you ready <laughs> I think question so. Time. This is me out of my comfort zone now. You're putting me out of the comfort zone. <laughs> um, question one. Did Kevin Davis have more shots at goal or commit more tackles in the Premier League? Ooh, it's got to be tackles, hasn't it? The answer is 320 shots and 377 tackles. So more That's tackles. on the cheek. <laughs> That's quite good, yeah. Well, this is about yourself. So if you didn't yeah. know the answer to these, we'd be worried for your head. Yeah, well, <laughs> That's a good stat. That's a good stat. Uh, question two. Kevin Davis was named Premier League Player of the Month once in his career. But in what year and month did he receive the award? Um, I reckon. November 98? Close. The answer is November 1997. Oh, 97. Close. <laughs> Close. That's pretty, pretty good effort. Pretty good effort. Question three. Who scored more goals in the Premier League? Kevin Davis or Dennis Bergkamp? Ooh. You know what? I think I've seen this one. I reckon he's just behind me. I know Ronaldo overtook me recently because so when he came back to the Premier League, that was quite funny. Uh, I think Bergkamp's one or two just behind, isn't he? So I'd say me. Uh, the answer is Kevin Davis has 88 and Bergkamp has 87. 
So, yep, you were correct. Your second, the second for a second time. So you could say you scored a goal that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm on a hat trick. <laughs> question four. Whose minutes per goal ratio is better, Kevin Davis or Peter Crouch? I think it's got to be Crouchy. I think um pretty sure he's in the 100 club, isn't he? I'm just short, so I'd say Peter Crouch. Um. The answer is Kevin Davis, a goal every 195 minutes and a crouch goal every 212 minutes. Ah, brilliant. I keep that stat. That's a good one. Okay, this is the end of the qu- of the game, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just okay. so you don't get confused. <laughs> Not bad. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold, the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media too for awesome giveaways. That's gold. A few seasons later, Kevin Nolan left the club and you became club captain. How did it feel to be be, be captain and what sort of captain were you? Um, yeah, I remember Kevin leaving. I think we were all disappointed that he, he just you know he went to Newcastle. Um, he, he was he was a, a great leader. For someone so young, he was very mature for his age. Um, so he's, he was a first of all, he's a wonderful captain, great teammate, uh, loved loved spending time with him on and off the pitch. Um, and then, it, yeah, I think obviously the manager came up to me and said, "Would you want to be the captain?" Obviously, I said yes. I was at the right age, I think, to to be the captain. I can't remember what age I was, probably late twenties, thirties, somewhere around there. I think. Um, so yeah, I think it was. Um, it makes you very proud. I think you almost become the leader. Um, it just comes with a, a little bit of extra responsibility. You know, you kind of become more of a mm-hmm. like a father figure to the younger players. Um, you become the voice of the players, so you can you know relate things back to the manager and the owners about things that could be done differently. And um, obviously, just wearing the armband, walking out, you know, you feel the chest is pumped out a little bit more. You feel a bit taller. Um, so I love I love the, the responsibility of it, um, and I think as a captain, I you know I still speak to a lot of the players. They still call me skipper, so I think they respected me. I like to think I was a good captain. Um, I wasn't one of these that would be you know shouting and screaming, and you know I, I I like to lead by example really about the way I trained, my professionalism, the way I played the game, um, and all those kind of things really. Um, lead by example. Um, and when the when the time was right to call a meeting or to put something right or something I wasn't happy with, I would just get the boys together and sort it out between us rather than letting things get out of hand. So I think I recognised things that needed to be done. Um, and I think I, I remained captain under Owen Coyle. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I loved the role. I loved the responsibility. And uh, being captain of Bolton was a, a great honour of mine, really. Yeah. We also have a message from your former manager, Sam Allardyce, and he says you are... Strong, brave, talented. Kevin worked very hard rebuilding his career at Bolton and me. Went on to play for Bolton over 10 years. Supper, Kevin Davis. Yeah. Yeah, I love Sam. He's, a, again, a great guy. Um, just such good memories. I will always speak highly of him because of what he did for me, the opportunity he gave me. Uh, like you said, I had to work hard for it. It was tough. You know, the pre-season leading up to that first year was tough, but... Um, he he was just a great manager. I think you know he was head of his time back in. I went there in two thousand and three, and he had you know a load of staff around him because he he would openly say it to us. You know, if you don't match my ambition, you won't play for this club. Because he wanted to go on and 
you know, manage a top club and obviously he went on to get the pinnacle, which is manage England, which unfortunately didn't work out for him. But that was down to his ambition, his desire, and it rubbed off on the rest of the players. He had to yeah. drive ourselves to help him. And that was kind of what we had in the club at the time. So I think he created something quite special with that group of players. And I think it's, you know, as mentioned, those top players earlier, Campo and, you know, draw care for Kocha. We, we went back there last year to play a charity game to raise some money from the players and all the players that I asked. Again, I sort of took the responsibility to arrange the team to play against Bolton because one of the players' moms was unfortunately not very well. So everyone turned up. Sam was there. You know, it's great to get back, you know, the, the boys back together, get the band back together. Um, and Sam hadn't changed really. I just, um, I love his company. He's great fun. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Sam Allardyce, how did you feel when he left the club and Sammy Lee and Gary Megson took over? Did the team find it difficult to have a new manager? I think you do. I think, um, you know, he, he was such a, a big part of everything. He drove everything. Um, and obviously he left to go to Newcastle at the time. So disappointing, of course. Um you know, Sammy Lee came in. He was, Sammy Lee was a fantastic coach, you know, one of the best coaches. Any player that you speak to who's worked under Sammy Lee will say he's the best coach. Wanted to try management. It didn't quite work for him. He tried to change too many things. The style of football and things just didn't work for us at the time. Um, so he didn't last too long. And then Gary Megson, I think, you know, looking back, I think the fans, he never kind of, Kevin, he never kind of had that bond with the fans for some reason. And I think that's something that he could have probably done better. Um, but he did, I think overall he did quite well for the club. Gary Megson obviously gave me the armband, so I, I have to thank him for that. But um, I think overall he did an okay job. But at the time, like I said, I think once Sam left, um, things started to change at the club, um, you know, and obviously, the league finishes started to drop off and drop off. And it was, you know, it became about staying in the league rather than challenging at the top of the table. Um, in October 2010, you got called up to the England squad to play. How did you find out you got the call up and how did you feel? Yeah, I, again, it was I was 33. So I'd, I'd been playing some decent football for a few years and I'd kind of been in some of the standby squads like, you know, some of the, they call them the longest squad. So if there's an injury or two, you'd probably get a phone call. So um, I felt there was a period where I was playing probably been my best football in my sort of early 30s where I could have got a, a chance really. I backed myself against some of the other strikers like Heskey and Crouch. I thought I was as good as them without sort of being too arrogant about it. I thought I could have done a job. So I think to get, I got a call literally from the secretary at the FA to say, um, you've been called up to the squad. And I remember being at home um, a little bit in shock I just sat down and my wife said who was that I said oh the, the it was England it was the FA I've been called up to the squad and it was obviously I can imagine emo- the look on your it face it was an emotional yeah it was an emotional time where you just kind of pinch yourself and someone winding me up is it a joke or something like that uh, but yeah, yeah I think that from, wind up joke thing a lot yeah I, th- I just think you at that age you just don't think it's ever going to happen really um, I'd had opportunities to go and play for sort of Wales Ireland, Scotland, it all rang me up about have I got some family members? Well, I, I, it was England all the way for me. So, uh, yeah, it was just, um, it was kind of just, I don't know, I just couldn't believe it really. Um, and I just thought, you know, Gary Cale was in the squad who played for Bolton at the time. I remember just meeting up on the train with him, and there's Jaggy Elker, I think Julian Lescoff, he plays on the train down to, to meet the boys. Just took everything in, really. I remember just go walking in and saying hello to Fabio Capello. 
meeting some of the players, getting my England sort of tracksuit and bag. It was like sending pictures to the family and, you know, staring out and seeing the England coach thinking I'm part of that. So I, it was just an, an amazing experience. I just tried to enjoy every training session, try my best, try and impress. And obviously I managed to get into the, the squad for the game, which wasn't an amazing game. Um, against Montenegro, it was nil-nil. I remember coming on for Peter Crouch and trying to get the team going a little bit. It was pr pretty flat. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I was disappointed not to maybe get a few more chances after that, but I got one and it's probably one more than a lot of people. So I still look back and think, you know, it was a proud moment for me. Really. Mm -hmm. Flat as in like a football that's run out of air. <laughs> yeah, it felt, it, it was, it was, I mean, it was 80,000 at Wembley, but it just felt a bit like it wasn't the best game, you know, it was a European qualifying. I just want I'd want a slight opportunity. I think if I'd have maybe just got my foot there before the goalkeeper scored, I might have gotten a few more squads. But those are the little things that you can't really, can't really affect. But yeah, it was just, um, yeah, I remember just being in the changing room after and seeing people were throwing all their kits away. And I was like getting some shorts and putting them in the bag if I could take them for my kids or so everyone signed my shirts. And, you know, it was just um, a great, a great week in my life, really. <laughs> Um, how did you find the change from training with Bolton to England? What was the culture like and what was Capello like as a manager? Yeah, it's totally different. I think um I think I think Rio was Rio Ferdinand was captain at the time, I think. Um I said hello to Capello when I got there and I probably didn't speak to him until I went on the pitch. So it wasn't like working with a Sam Allardyce every day, you know, seeing him throughout the day being with your teammates. So it was a totally different experience. You had to be at breakfast, lunch, dinner at a certain time. You wasn't allowed to leave the table until the, the captain was ready. The food was different, lots of Italian. I remember going up to get some breakfast the first morning and asking where the butter was for my toast. And the chef was like, you can't have butter here. I was like, oh, well, all right, okay. So little, it was a little what? different. You can't have butter? No, there's no butter allergic? I think it was down to the Italian way you were allowed to have chocolate spread on there but it was just like a it, it was different to the Italians you know look at the Italian managers now I, I've never worked under one full time but I think they have two or three sessions a day you know they're totally different to the way the British people approach things you know the, the diet you know little things were totally different but um, you know you get on with it and the training itself I loved I loved being part of the training you know you push yourself even harder because you want to get into the team um, so I didn't feel out of place, which I think was the main thing. I felt as though I could hold my own at that level. You know, Wayne Rooney, Stephen Gerrard were players that I sort of admired and it was a pleasure to sort of play alongside them and watch them train and see what they do differently to what we were doing back at Bolton at the time. So, uh, yeah, loved the whole week. And when I got told, you know, on the day of the game, I think I was going to be involved. I just couldn't believe it. I, you know, rang my family, told them what number I was going to be. And then I was... So had a lot of family and friends come down and watch the game. So the game itself was a bit of a blur. I can't really remember too much about coming on and what I did. Um, I don't think I've actually watched it back really. So, um, yeah, and then it was just back to Bolton and carry on from there. Do you think you should have played more for England? It's hard to say, isn't it? Listen, there's some unbelievable strikers around at the time. So in terms of a target man, I thought it was as good, if not better than Heskey Crouch. You have to. I, don't, I think if you don't think like that, then... You know, there's no point, is there? So I'd like to think I could have got a few more caps. It'd have been nice to go to a major tournament. But, you know, to have that one week, the one cap, you know, I think as a young boy, I'd have taken that. In 2012, Bolton got relegated from the Premier League. What had changed in the Bolton team 
who consistently finished in the top six and played in Europe to a team that got relegated. It was tough to say, wasn't it? Because we'd, I think Owen Cole was the manager at the time. Uh, the budget for the players had dropped significantly, I think. So we were looking at a different type of player in terms of recruitment, I think. Uh, we had some great lads in there still, uh, but just not the quality that we had in those you know, glory years of Europe and challenging for Champions League. So obviously Sam was a big factor. Uh, I would never criticise managers or coaches, but things you know didn't work out for, for Owen Cole. And I think it was... Um, you know, I remember the day well. We went to Stoke. I think the game the week before we let a late goal in against West Brom, which meant we had to to win the game at Stoke. And I think had that late goal not have gone in, we'd have stayed up. Um, because it was the same day that Man City famously won the Premier League when Aguero scored that late goal. So we were obviously looking at the score over there. I think um, QPR were winning two 0 so we were like thought we were doomed anyway at the time. Uh, I scored a bit of a freak goal. Um, and then I think they got a late penalty or something and we've just we needed one goal to stay up and it just didn't work for us uh, but over the course of the season uh, you know as a squad we just weren't good enough as simple as that really um, so yeah it was it was hard to take in being captain it was um, it was up there with they said we had a big semi-final loss against Stoke which was as a captain was hard to take and this relegation was was even harder I think for me to take really you left Bolton in 2013 after they said they would not offer you a new contract. You were then left out of the squad completely at the end of your time at Bolton. How did you feel about this and did you feel let down by the club? Um, it was it was a tough, again, you talk about the tough periods in football. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not it's not an easy sport to stay in. You know, It's hard to make as a footballer. I always say to young players that I speak to, it's even harder to stay there because you've always got other players coming in trying to take your spot it's competitive new managers see different things differently have different opinions on you so again Dougie Freeman the one who came at the time um, didn't particularly hit it off as a captain with him uh, just found things hard you know from what I'd been used to under Sam particularly met Gary Megson Owen Cole created a great fun environment but just didn't probably do things tactically enough to keep us in the league or or whatever. So Dougie Freeman had his own ways. Um and I just didn't I didn't agree with a lot of it. Um so yeah, it didn't it was one of those relationships I just didn't have with him, which I'd had with previous managers. So it was difficult. Um and in the end it's sort of I think it was my around my birthday, um I got pulled into the office and he told me I wasn't getting a new contract, which was disappointing obviously, but I know I'd I'd stayed there when I could have moved in the past. So I felt like I'd shown them loyalty. Um, but, I, you know, I wasn't particularly happy in that period anyway. So I think it was the right decision. Um, it could have been dealt with differently. And it was one of them. I just said, listen, I'll work as hard as I can till the end of the season to try and get the club into the playoffs, to try and get back in the Premier League. It'd be a great way to leave Bolton. Um, but unfortunately, things just deteriorated between me and him. Uh, and, it was, and, and in the end, it was decided it was best just for me to stay away, which was... A little bit frustrating when you feel you could be helping on the pitch. Um, but they just missed out in the playoffs. And then obviously it was difficult doing that final lap of honour. I've been there 10 years, captain them for half of that. And it was a bit emotional just walking around. All the fans stayed behind. All, they were disappointed we'd, we'd not made the playoffs. Um, but it was nice to walk around the pitch with my kids one last time. And that was quite a sad, sad moment. Um, but again, left there. And it was a chance to move on to another club, um, which, you know, I went to Preston and had two, two years there and retired. So 
yeah, not an ideal way to leave a club, but you know, you you got to move on sometimes. Yeah. In 2017, you became manager at Southport. You were there for six months before leaving. How did you find your time there, and would you like to get back into management? Um, that was an interesting one. I think you know you probably interviewed a lot of footballers who and people have gone into coaching and managing. I, th- I think I never quite knew what I wanted to do when I retired, but I'd done all my coaching badges. So I'd done a UA for B, I'd done a UA for A. Uh, didn't mind coaching, quite enjoyed coaching the young kids a bit more. Um, I'd been at Bolton kids. Academy and I'd coached my son's team and I'd been around and I quite enjoyed that side of it. So um, I always had this, you know, I wanted to try management. I think you've got to try it out, but I wasn't kind of, I wasn't working for five, ten years building up to it because I really wanted to be a manager. It was kind of, I wanted to give it a go just to see what it was like. And I wanted to manage a team. And, you know, I remember speaking to Daichi, Sam Ardice, you know, people at the, the FA, the PFA about what's the best way to, to do it. So John Dyche was saying, go and coach a youth team, go and coach an under 18s, coach a B team, get your experience. And then when the right job comes, take it. I felt like I wanted to go straight in, dive straight in really. So, I was, again, talk about being out of your comfort zone. I've never done a job interview in my Dive life. Dive straight in? Yeah, Have yeah. you ever heard the term, look before you leave? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should have rang you before I took the job. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, again, it's I've never done a job interview. So it's kind of, I, I prepare really well. When I, like, when I do the media things, I prepare for days. I get all my stats and I watch games. And I like to think I'm well prepared. So I was just preparing for the interview about what I wanted to do with the club. I've been to watch a couple of games. Um, so I kind of knew what the team was doing and I, you know, I did the interview and eventually they offered me the job. So I was like, oh, really? So it's a bit of it. So yeah, get on with it. They were struggling at the time. Um, there was lots of fighting going on within the dressing room. There was fighting in the boardroom. Like there was a new owner trying to take over. And so it was a bit of a, oh, no. an yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. Um, and I managed to sort a few things out, you know, there was, not much staff in place. You know, the team were struggling and it took a bit of time to turn it around a little bit. But I thought we had a good spell after Christmas. We managed to get rid of a few players that were causing a few problems, um, got a few good players in and we went on a decent run in the end. Uh, started pushing up the table, uh, fell away a bit towards the end because we didn't quite have the squad. Um, it was a job taken from part-time to full-time. So there's a lot to deal with really in that short space of time. Uh, but I thought I did an okay job at the end, but we sat down at the end of the season and they wanted to go a different way. So I was like, okay, that's no problem. Um, and it was literally see you later. Um, so, yeah, that was a, an eye-opener to say the least. But would I go back in? I don't think uh, so. I don't <laughs> think so. I think, you know, you've got to be a yeah, I got the gist. I didn't enjoy the defeats because I felt a bit lonely at times because my assistant manager was sort of travelling by himself. So after... A defeat, let's say. It was tough being around the chairman, the owner. They weren't happy. And I found it quite hard in terms of dealing with the pressure. And it, it consumes you. And I was, you know, not seeing as much of my family as I'd like to. So I think you've got to be a certain type to be a manager. And I don't think it's something that I will go back into. <laughs> Can you tell us a little more about KCD management? What, what is it? And did, do you enjoy doing it? Yeah, again, that was, um, you know, we, you know, it's not knowing what you want to do. So I tried the managing role. I, at the same time, 
I'd been invited by the PFA to go and do this master's degree at Manchester Met University, which is a, a sporting director role. It's called the MSD. So I was doing that at the time as well. I still wasn't quite sure I was doing media work, um, but I still, I've always felt I wanted to do something myself, like set up my own company. Um, so I was talking to a few people. Um, I always get people, players ringing me for advice about maybe joining another club, managers, coaches asking for advice about, can you get me into that club? Can you get me into that club? So I felt I had good contacts in the game. So I just decided that potentially managing players, managing their affairs, looking after them, giving them the right advice is just another way of helping players and using my experience. So it just felt like a good fit. So I looked into how to set up a company, did it within a day, registered as, a, as an agent and intermediary, um, and then just got on the phone with me, started bringing a few players that I knew, asking if they got an agent, if they hadn't, do you want to come and have a chat? And that was about two and a half years ago. So at the minute, I've got probably 20, 25 players that I manage. Um, I'm meeting a player after this, this um this chat to go and have a chat with him about things. He's oh. a young player at Bournemouth. So I enjoy just trying to just trying to look after them and give them some sound advice, speaking to the coaches, what they're doing well, what can they work on, speaking to the parents and saying, you know, this is the right place at the moment, you know, just give them the right sound advice. Um and if I can make a successful business out of it and build it, then great. So I really enjoy the role. Um you know, just looking after the players in the right way. I, you know, you can coach and help them you can be a financial advisor but this is the, the way that I see that I can help these players moving forward with their careers before we finish we would like to play a game with you that we play with all our guests <laughs> the game is called wrong answers only we will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer are you ready <laughs> like the sound of this one let's go favourite ground in the Premier League Crystal Palace's ground, what's that called? Is it Sellos Park, is it? Is it still yeah. Sellos Park? I'll go with that one, yeah. Best manager you have ever played for? Dougie Friedman. Okay. Highlight of your what career? You? Highlight of career, it's got to be England, I think. Playing for England. Oh, it's wrong answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> language. Excuse my language. Highlight <laughs> um, of my career. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Bolton, zero, Stoke, five. FA Cup semi-final. Okay. Uh, best player you've ever played with? Interesting question. Oh, that's a tough one, oh, isn't it? This will be fun. Um, I go Mario Jardel. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> what did, who'd he do? What'd he do? Yeah. <laughs> the best thing about Kevin Davis is... Um, <laughs> his hair. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair kind of looks like Tom's. Kind of. <laughs> Thank you for those answers. Um, every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. Yeah. This week's question comes from our previous guest, former, which was England cricketer Alex Tudor, who asked, was there ever a player who you did not get on with? You played in a team with him and... He was a good player, but you just did not get on with each other. Yeah. Oh, I, probably, it has to be someone from our Blackburn period, I think. Um, I think Chris Sutton, who, he's on TV quite a bit now. We didn't particularly have a good relationship. Um, Uh-oh, what do you two do? No, it's just, I don't know, for some reason, we just didn't seem to get on. Obviously, we're playing the same position. He was the main man. I'd come in for a big sum. Um 
just a couple of things we just didn't seem to just didn't seem to get on for some reason. Um, Did you if try I saw him now, get along? I, listen, I was young, so who, I was twenty-one. You don't really know what's going on at twenty-one, do you? So um, I if would, I saw him now, I? I've, listen, I've seen like you know I've spoken about managers that I've not particularly got on with in the past, like Gordon Strachan didn't pick me. I, I don't hold grudges, so I've, I've done a few media gigs with Gordon Strachan. If I saw Dougie Freeman now, I'd say hello and shake his hand. I'm, I'm not one of those types that I'm not. I don't. I'm just. I see myself as a decent guy. So uh, if I saw Chris Sutton now at BT Sports where he works, I'd have a chat and probably have a laugh about that period. You know, I was a young kid. I, I didn't know what what was going on at the time. You'd, I said I think I touched on it before as a, as a male. I don't think you mature until your late twenties, thirties, anyway. So. I, for some reason, we didn't particularly get on whether that was just a rivalry thing or who wanted to be the top dog. It could have just been something as simple as that. So, but again, I don't hold grudges. So, um, fortunate to, I'll turn it around. Fortunate to play with some great players over my career as well. Um, could do you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The get yeah. the question can be anything you want. Because um, anything, it doesn't even have to do with sport. Anything random. I, I, people, always, the one thing they ask me is, what would you change? What one moment, one action in your career would you change? You know, do you ever regret that kind of thing? So, I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Kevin. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. No, thank you very much. You've been perfect hosts, I must say. Uh, very impressed. And if there's anything I can do in the future, you know, if you want to try and get a guest on, I can try and hook it up. Just give me a shout. Cheers again. No worries. Good luck with it. It's, it's good. I really enjoyed it. So um, good luck with it all. Anything, like I said, anything I can do to help, just give me a shout. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Have thank a good day. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks. So, Alyssa, what did you think about today's episode chatting to Kevin? It was great. He seemed like a really good guy. He was even, yeah, and he's the first person we have. I think, is he the first person who volunteered to help us out with the podcast, with the finding guests? Uh, Before it was even mentioned. Yeah, yeah, actually, that was quite a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, quite a coincidence. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of comedic on purpose about the you know, the tackles in his career. Um, I guess you could turn that to a point. But basically, um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad that he's also had a, a lot of contact with chatting to other people in football. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was just mainly... Let, let's hope he can put us into touch and to invest some very nice, some good some peop, some good people. Yeah, fingers crossed for that indeed. Fingers crossed. Um, thanks everyone for listening or watching this episode. Um, make sure to... Uh, check for our socials, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and YouTube. And uh, hopefully already you can listen to us on Spotify or Apple Ow. Music or any other podcast uh, site or app. Sorry. Thanks again, everyone. <laughs> and um, see you all next time. Ta-ra. Later. Very smooth ending, guys. See you later. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, 
what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.